If you're a dog lover, you came barking up the right podcast. Welcome to Canine Educators to Save a Life. Hear motivational stories and learn life-saving skills to save the life of your dog. Louis Pasteur once said, Chance favors the prepared mind. At Canine Educators, your host Odie helps you prepare for whatever life throws at you. Now, here is your host, author of Canine Medic, Eric Odie Roth. Welcome to Canine Educators to Save a Life. In this episode, we are going to hop onto a time machine. We're going to travel back in time and relive an incident that played an important part in my path in providing care and education to our beloved canines. Joining me is my longtime friend, Cassie Toth. Hi, Cassie. Hi. So I'm super, super glad to have you on and appreciate you reaching out to me. This is going to be a lot of fun. So when I say time machine, Cassie, how long ago was that? I want to say probably 18 years ago. Yeah, it's, it's been quite a while. Yeah. So before we get started, I believe that everybody has a why. And the why should be your purpose, your cause, or your belief that, that should drive every one of us. And I can honestly say, when I look at my why, there's a lot of different components that kind of blend into that. It's pretty well publicized that I do what I do, mainly because of my loss to my St. Bernard Samson. You remember Samson, right, Cassie? I do. Yeah. So Samson died from a condition called bloat. At the time, I was not educated to pick up on the signs that he was facing a life-threatening emergency. So remember, a sign is something that we see, and a symptom is something that is conveyed to us, something like, my stomach hurts. We can't really see that. That's the symptom. Now, I would be wrong if I didn't say that this event also played a part into my why. So at the time, we were living next door to each other, and one thing I remember about that is your mom's ribs. <laughs> so, oh, <your> yeah. <laughs> the ribs were the bomb, and this was way before the time of all these fancy smokers and stuff. So, uh, yeah, in that kind of weird of all things I remember, I remember her ribs. So Yeah, I forgot about her ribs. <laughs> yeah, they're super delicious. <laughs> but at the time, your family always would have people over, and it seems like your house was always like the place to gather, which was kind of fun. This event that we're going to talk about happened during one of these get-togethers. So, Cassie, can you take us back? What do you remember about that day? I remember, I think it was a holiday, maybe 4th of July or Memorial Day, one of those days, and we were having a party. My aunt was over. I think my grandma was there and we were all just hanging out. That's what I remember. And then my mom gave the dog. So she had an Australian shepherd that we had rescued from Taos, New Mexico. And um, she was giving the dogs treats and her dog was jealous of the treats that my mom was giving to my aunt's dog, who was like a little five pound Yorkie and he bit her right on the head. Like the canine went right through his skull. And then the dog was just laying there. And that's what I remember. And his, his name was Odin, right? Odin. O yep. Odin. Yeah. yeah. It's kind of weird. Odin and Odie. It's yep. kind of weird how that plays out, but We'll just go with it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so Odin was just laying there lifeless. And I think we all kind of just panicked and didn't know what to do. 
And all I can remember saying was, Eric, you have to help him and giving you this dog who was like lifeless. And I want you to know from my side, it wasn't like, oh, here, let me, let me, let me take that. It was kind of in the moment. Um, I had not been trained in pet first aid and CPR at the time. It's like, you ever see a duck on the water? They just look so calm and they're just kind of cruising around. But if you look on the underside, they're paddling and they're paddling viciously. I just want you to know that was me in that moment. I was like, oh no, what do I do? I remember it's like, what do I do? And I just kind of defaulted into what training I have as a paramedic at the time. Did I know it was right? No, it was kind of the only thing I did. So I remember part of the stress was, okay, what, where do we take the dog? One thing that we teach a lot of people is you need to know where to go. Every paramedic, every firefighter, they need to know where all the hospitals are right now. They need to know what their capacity is. Not all hospitals are equal. We had a driver and I was in the passenger seat performing, I guess, let's just call it my version of canine CPR, kind of the untrained version. And before we left the house, Odin had started breathing again on his own. So once the dog started breathing again, we continued to the vet. Now, if I remember correctly, the vet was probably a good 15, 20 minutes away at that time. So what happened to Odin? He survived. So he was in um, the urgent care emergency room for, I believe they kept him overnight. Um, But he ended up surviving. And my aunt said that he was always a little slow after that. Um, but personally, I think he was slow all the time because <laughs> he was just a tiny little Yorkie, you know, who's crazy. So one thing, you know, saving a life and when we look at it from an EMS perspective, so one, one thing it's important to know that just because we get pulses back on someone or they start breathing again, does not mean that this patient or person is out of the woods. If there has been any time where the brain has had a lack of oxygen, we might see some of the deficits. Like in Odin's case, maybe he was just a little bit slower. Typically in humans, the brain can go without oxygen for only about four to six minutes. Anytime after that, we can expect significant brain damage. In dogs, however, that time is reduced down to two minutes. So it's so, so, so important that we react right away. Did you ever talk to Rose? What was it like from Rose's point of view? Um, I don't remember really talking to her about it that much. I know that she was really panicked. Um, I mean, that's traumatizing, right? I think it was traumatizing for everybody watching this dog just be lifeless and then have your neighbor bring it back to life essentially. Um, so she was pretty traumatized about it. I know that she was upset with my mom for a little while because I think she thought that my mom could have prevented it. I know that that's probably not the case. Um, because my mom's dog was, she just had a bite history. Um, I don't think there were any other things outside of her just being really traumatized, watching her dog basically die in front of her. And then happy that you were able to bring her back or bring him back. But then she had said how slow Odin was after. 
I think you said one thing, you know, you, you mentioned she was angry. Yeah. And people have to understand, you know, there's, I think if you looked at all the books and stuff, about seven stages of grieving, you know, anything from anger to denial, that's perfectly normal. It is normal. People are looking for for a reason of why this happened. It just kind of helps your mind kind of comprehend that. All right, Cassie. Well, thanks for being on. And I know this COVID thing has turned everybody's world upside down. Once we get going, I would like to have you out to one of our in-person classes as an honorary guest, if that sounds okay. Yeah, that would be awesome. Um, If it wasn't for you having me help you do that book for your class, uh, my dog probably wouldn't be alive because she is a crazy Boston Terrier, nine months old, and she eats everything under the sun. Um, And thinking back to when I helped type up that book for your canine class, I recognized the signs of like when dogs, they're choking and like all of those things. And so I think that you having me help you type up that book actually saved her life a couple of times because she's choked on wood mulch from the backyard. She's crazy. And she is allergic to bees and got stung and we ended up having to go to the emergency vet. So I think it would be really cool to be able to go in and um, learn even more. Uh, yeah, that's amazing that it's stories like this that really make my day that gives you know myself and our instructors all the passion to keep going and do what we do. Um, yeah, so you did help me kind of type up that first edition of Canine Medic. And I am happy to say that with COVID, I actually figured it was a good time to reauthor that book. So for the past 10, 12 months, I have been busy reauthoring that book. And this book is just going to be amazing. Right now, I'm up to like 61 chapters, a lot of how-to guides. If you, you want to learn how to wrap a tail or wrap a pad or wrap an ear, your how-to guides are going to walk you through that really easy. But one thing that you mentioned about choking, you know, choking is still the number one trauma killer for the past five years, according to ASPCA. You're spot on. You have to pick up the signs that your dog is choking. But yeah, we'll get you in the hands-on class and we'll get you doing some abdominal thrusts on our mannequins and we'll have a good time. That sounds awesome. That sounds like a lot of fun. <laughs> All right, Cassie. Well, good talking to you. Hope you have a great rest of your week and um, thank you again. You too. Have a good one. So before we go, I wanted to share one more story with the listeners that also has made an impact on the way I look at life when it comes to providing emergency care. So the defining event I'm about to share with you, I did not learn in the fire academy. I did not learn this in paramedic school. I did not learn this from my mentors, my peers, or even my parents. But there was a single call that changed my entire belief in a matter of seconds. One of my first assignments as a firefighter, I was on the engine company. Here I was living my dream, out to save life and property. That was our mission statement. I think partly that's why I became a firefighter, because I remember that. So we started this shift just like any other shift. Typically in the morning, the station officer will hop on the conference call. Then we'll have a morning briefing to discuss the today's activities. Well, we were informed that we had a four-hour fire training that day. That was nothing new. However, the training was located in another city meaning half of our fire department was to go in the morning and the other half in the afternoon. That left only three fire engines to cover 35 square miles. Soon the tones went off and one of the three engines was dispatched to a medical call. Moments later, the tones went off again. 
This time it was for my engine company, and the call was for a structure fire. As the engine pulls out of the bay, I am frantically attempting to put on all my gear. The officer turns around and says, this one's for real, boys. Get ready. We're going to be first on scene. As I looked toward the front of the engine, I could see the plume of smoke. And I could actually feel my heart racing as we got closer. So we pulled up to a small two-story single-family home, and there was fire coming out of a second-story window. My officer ordered me to grab an inch and three-quarter hand line and basically said to hit it. In fireman terms, that's basically put water into the window. The engineer was hooking up the hydrant, and the officer typically does a 360 around the house and just to make sure there's nobody on the backside hanging out of a window or anything. So as my hose charged with water, I placed the stream into the window that had all the fire. To much surprise, it was not having any effect on the fire. And in that moment, I noticed it was eerily quiet Normally, there's a lot of commotion. We can hear other fire trucks rolling in. Um, you know, the sirens are blaring, the horns are honking. This time, it was super, super quiet. I had that realization that I was alone, and the next engine was miles away, and help was not going to be there anytime soon. So in that moment, the smoke was getting darker, and soon the fire started to come out of the next window on the second floor. All I could think about was my mission statement, save life and property. Now, this kind of situation, that's not a situation where we can go into the house. We just don't have enough personnel. Hose lines are quite heavy. We can't maneuver them. We were kind of forced to stay on the outside. I could actually feel myself willing more water out of the hose. So I glanced over to my right, and there was the family. The mother, the father, and the two small kids that were just crying as they watched their house basically burn. Time seemed to go very, very slow. So over the next 20 minutes, I watched their house burn down to the ground. I have to tell you, never in my life did I feel like such a failure. My sole mission as a firefighter is to save life and property, and I failed. Obviously, the engine was very quiet for the remainder of the shift. I think his failure and guilt kind of consumed us. Well, interesting enough, a few days later, we were back on shift and our doorbell rang at the station. Guess who it was? It was the family with their two small kids. And they had baked us some cookies and they wanted to say thank you. In that moment, my heart raced as I tried to make sense of what was happening. All I could think about was I failed and you baked us cookies. But they saw the effort that we, that our crew put into trying to save their home just like it was our very own. So I think when it comes to emergencies, the ultimate goal is not if you succeed or if you fail. The ultimate goal is to give everything you have into something that's in your heart. Listening to another episode of Canine Educators to Save a Life. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform so you never miss an episode. To learn more about Canine First Aid, sign up for one of our online Canine First Aid and CPR classes at canineeducators.com. Never let fear be larger than your purpose.